I want to know how to get through, through to something new, something of my own. So sings the second artist, George, in Sondheim and Lapine's musical Sunday in the Park with George. George is wrestling with his identity as an artist, wanting to make something new, something of his own. To do so, his journey takes him both backward, connecting mystically through the muse of his great-grandfather, Georges Seurat, to his past, to his legacy, to his inheritance, and forward, moving on to something that comes distinctly from himself. Today's guest, in his recent book, shares some of his own journey to get through to something new. A journey driven by two incurable passions, the theology that does not yet exist and the tragic condition of humanity tortured by barbaric globalism. In this book, today's guest uh, builds on the familiar missiological framework of Outside the Gate, established by Orlando Costas, to recover important elements in ancestral traditions of the Americas with an eye to discerning pneumatological continuity between pre-Columbian and post-Columbian communities. He calls for a rerouting of theology, a realisation that theology cannot make its home in Christendom, but is a global creation that must come home to a church without borders. Welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded on dark and jung land by me, Liam Miller, he, him, his, a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia. My guest today is Oscar Garcia Johnson, academic dean for the Center for the Study of Hispanic Church and Community, an associate professor of theology and Latino studies at Fuller Theological Seminary. His writings include Spirit Outside the Gate, Decolonial Pneumatologies of the American Global South, out now with IVP Academic and the, uh, the subject of our conversation today. But he's also written Theology Without Borders, Introduction to Global Conversations, co-authored with William Dryness, and the Mestizo R Community of the Spirit, a Latino R postmodern ecclesiology, plus many more that are listed in the show notes. Please welcome our guest, Oscar Garcia Johnson, as we discuss Spirit Outside the Gate on Love, Rinse, Repeat. Well, Oscar Garcia Johnson, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to be with you, Lion, and all the audience and people I don't know, but I'm, uh, you know, uh, eager to establish contact with and begin a dialogue. Yeah, great. Thank you for that. So we're going to talk today primarily about your new book, uh, Spirit Outside the Gate, Decolonial Pneumatologies of the American Global South, which is out through IVP Academic, and people can pick that up, part of that uh, missiological engagement series. So that's where we're centering. So I thought maybe as a way of just kind of wading into the book, you, you write at one point, in truth, every theology bears the marks of a narrative of its theologian who is the teller. So I guess let's, let's you know, start, I guess, a bit with your own narrative. Uh, you kind of talk about your path from a, a Chiquita Banana kid to a uh, diasporic US Latinx activist scholar. So I guess can you just talk to us a bit about, about that journey and how it shapes the book and, and particularly, I guess, your hopes for the book? Sure. Well, let's say this. Diasporas are very interesting places, mm. spaces, that are very strange. Um, when I think of a diaspora experience, I'm thinking of 
of a of a Moses in the burning bush in a diaspora, you know, kind of a, you know, if you see chapter three mm. and four, it's really about him. Like, you know, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of text surrounding one 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 individual, God, and you know, it's just trying to establish this this relationship. Who am I to do whatever? You know, that's that who am I, and particularly where am I? Those two are a huge question, diasporic question. Who am I and where am I so that I can do, think, feel, believe, whatever? And that, that is a place of self-questioning, I would argue. Uh, I, would, I would even advise, you know, uh, colleagues and friends that may be listening to this, if you want to if you want to experience a little bit how well you know yourself and how well <laughs> you think you you um, you are self-aware to to have a diaspora experience in a way that's why in theological education you know in in doctoral education you're asked I mean it's a it's a good practice to get out of your niche go for three four years somewhere else and come back it's not just to decontextualize you. That's not, I mean, that happens, unfortunately. It's to move you away and have you look at things from a, from a different angle of vision. And I think that's, that's what I see in Moses. That's what I see in David in the house of the enemies. David asking himself, you know, mm. <laughs> you know, um, that's, that's what I see in the case of Mary. Imagine Mary and Joseph back in Egypt, the place where the Jews were supposed to leave, they're back there. Uh, with baby Jesus. Um, and so we can go to many of those places. Um, in, my, in, my, in my case, I think um, I, I became aware of how not American I was when I came to the States. It's like, like African brothers and sisters coming to to the States, they say, I didn't know I was black until I hit the United States, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, that kind of experience. And because Honduras, my country of origin, was a very Americanized, uh, and by Americanized, I'm using here the common language of the United States. I'm not using the, the continental. I mean, America is clearly not a country. It's a <laughs> continent, mm. and it's a, it's a way of being in a, in a, in a, in a hemispheric uh, sense. But... Um, for the sake of for the sake of this conversation, I'm, I'm using that, and when I'm not, I'm going to let you know. Um, and so, in Honduras, you know, the U.S. is super important. I mean, that was the place where um, the the Cold War was, in a way, stopped in Central America. Uh, you know, Nicaragua, Guatemala, El Salvador. I mean, it was positioned on, in Honduras. So, there's a lot of things happening there, and not the least of the of things. Uh, 100, I mean, at least 80 years of economic dominance from uh, a couple a couple transnationals, such as the United Fruit Company and Dole, what is called the Chiquita Banana. And so um, for 80 years, the Chiquita Banana was uh, a powerful economic force in Honduras. But as usual, as usual, you know, uh, economic economic um, powers also have political power and particularly cultural power and even religious powers because every, every, everywhere that you will f- find a plantation, you will find a church, uh, you know, Presbyterian church, Methodist church, Baptist church. Later on, 
there was more like Pentecostal movement, but Pentecostal didn't go to that area that much. It was more like the mainline denominations. So that, that's a big piece of my story. And I use that to kind of uh, subvert the conversation. And I call myself, I'm a Chiquita Banana kid. And some, someplace else in another uh, writing, I say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a Banana Republic theologian. And you know, the Banana Republic is a bad word, meaning that that's a place where nothing can be controlled uh, because there's no local leadership. And yet there's a lot of influence from the outside. Interesting. We criticize banana republics, and yet, for example, from my country, the United States here, this is my other country, I have a couple of countries. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, we have uh, the military, we have international, um, you know, of for the, the, the CIA and, and, and you know, <laughs> uh, and, we have, and we have economic uh, power that in a way makes sure that that country is run that way. So the country in itself is a, is, is a banana republic country, but the forces that makes it a banana republic are, you know, they're not, they're not responsible. So that's an interesting combination. And in a way, I'm, I'm playing into that, saying I'm a, I'm a banana, the, uh, you know, republic theologian, because that's where I was, I was, I was made into um, an American, so to speak. And that's where... I'm, when I decided to come to the United States because I felt the United States was part of my, of my reality. Although I was born in Honduras, my grandfather was a white from the South and my great grandfather was from Great Britain. So I got all the blood that you needed and all the story you needed. And my dad had happened to work in the Chiquita Banana as a middle manager. So I lived amongst the privileged and the powerful as, as my, my book sometimes reflects to that, particularly Theology Without Border, I elaborate a little bit more on that. And, and, and in a way, I, but I'm aware of that not while I'm in Honduras. I'm aware of that when I'm here. Probably after dealing with different critical thinking, you know, um, um, uh, traditions, liberation theology, uh, US Latinx theology, um, uh, critical thinking, and then I'm I'm very interested in literature, and I see people in literature how how biographies are important elements of self awareness and self representation, and it's then when I say, okay, how am I to represent myself when I'm speaking with my fellow white male American or my fellow uh, white male European, or for that sake, white male um, Australian, uh, you know, or my uh, friends from other, or colleagues or fellows from other ethnic uh, circles, you know, how am I to represent myself in a way that I, when I speak, there is more than one place, there is a history, mm. there is a philosophy, there is a culture, and there is a provocation to get to know you and that environment uh, better. And I think that's what causes, um, you know, this, this, this is in a way, pieces of literature more than anything else that mm-hmm. provoke. And that's part of what I try to do with theology. I, I try to insert, you know, uh, pieces of literature that are provoking mm-hmm. and then required 
uh, extra work. So, okay, what do you mean by this? And let's go deep. Uh, I tend to do that. And um, and so I think you notice that. So that's what it's in, in that. It's um, It all happens in the, in the diaspora. And um, I had to, by the way, let me kind of finish here in this uh, section by saying that uh, while I, I was becoming aware of that relationship between, for example, uh, Europe and, and Latin America and the Caribbean, the United States and Latin America and the Caribbean, that inter, you know, interrelationality, that intersection. Uh, I've always knew that I was going to be a, um, a person of multiple worlds and of multiple locations. And I, you know, I will, I'll be a commuter, I'll be commuting. And in that commuting, I'll have to learn to be a citizen of many places. And in a way, what we're trying to say is a global citizen right now, you know. I was, mm. So in that sense, I have to go back to Latin America in many ways from mm. the United States. I learned how to write essays here in the United States, although I came here at 20 years old, uh, but I was in electrical engineering. We do math. We don't do essays. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, we do math. Yeah. I mean, we don't write essays in, uh, in, in <laughs> electrical engineering. So I had to learn the language here in the States, mm. the, the Spanish and English and the humanities. So, mm. Yeah. Well, thank you for all that. That's, that's really helpful. So, so when you write a book, you know what's going on around you. Uh, and that obviously influences what you're writing. But, you know, you don't know the world in which it's going to be read. Uh, and so this book has been probably, you know, predominantly read in, in 2020, uh, which obviously, you know, is a bit COVID and, you know, the varying responses of, you know, government and churches and uh, it's been read amidst, you know, the continued violence against black and brown bodies by, by law enforcement and the huge large-scale global protests that, that erupted in, in, in response. And, and it's been read amidst, a, you know, a presidential uh, election and, and ongoing aftermath of that election as as you know well you know those 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 democratic institutions and norms and values that we thought unassailable all of a sudden prove maybe more fragile than we thought you know how have you either you know your own thinking about the book in this world the book in this year um and i guess the reception you've had from others who are reading it uh in this time um has that you know surprised you you know what you expected or has it changed your own attitude toward the book anything uh, around that? yeah I think I, I would not have changed anything because in a way what I was interacting with was with world systems hmm. and if anything uh, um, what I was what I was what I was happy to see is that I mean what I'm what I, whenever I'm th I think of my book what it what it did and didn't do, and our time the the COVID the new, I'm I'm writing another another theology that's serious in Spanish that I'm calling it theology of the new world and has three connotations. <laughs> the new world is the is the is the term we were we were given I mean the, the Latin American people by by Iberian powers. Mm. However, I mean it's was a was a derogative uh, you know saying it, it wasn't a new world because there were ancient civilizations there. Uh, it wasn't a new territory because they, they, they were living there. They were creating culture and all, but, but anyway, it was a new world. Um, but in the, indeed, what happened with the encounter of Europe, Africa, the Middle East, 
and the uh, indigenous peoples of the Americas is a new world. A new world came, mm. but not necessarily the new the new world uh, uh, invented by um, that particular uh, colonial moment. Because there were going to be other colonial moments. You know, they're going to have the French, the British, the United States is the latest. Uh, those, those colonial moments, in a way, have created multiple. Uh, multiple, I would say, layers of uh, of identity, and so um, I'm, I'm calling. Okay, there is indeed a new world, and that new world is, is indeed is it's a new world that has been, in a way, the production of these people mm. that have been uh, that have received the transformation of their humanitas mm. and the transformation of the lands into commodities of multiple powers and even their own, you know, hierarchies and creoles and all that, creating all these uh, discrepancies. And, and so, the, so in a way, we have created culture, we have created religions, we have created uh, philosophies, we have created theologies, we have created sciences uh, that many people don't even know. So let me let me show you what this new world is doing. And at, and then at the same time, all this is happening when we're in a new world, the post-COVID. Mm. So you see, these are three layers why I'm calling it theology of the new world in Spanish, Teología del Nuevo Mundo. Uh, you know, and so uh, in a way, I think that was that was not named in, in this book, but in a way, I'm, that's what I'm trying to say mm. and I'm trying to write. And whenever I, I think... Uh, our time and this book, the word rabbit hole, going deep into the rabbit's hole, it's what it comes to mind. I think mm -hmm. my book uh, does try to take us deep into the rabbit hole, into some of the causes and the roots of what we see expressed today. When COVID hits, there are some people that are less valuable and more disposable than others. There are economies that self-protect while at the same time put into risk other economies. There are places of power, privilege, and white normativity, uh, white supremacy, Western normativity hmm. that retrench with the fear of losing 400 years of progress, not acknowledging that that power was built on somebody else's land, somebody else's shoulder. Because without the African, there is no United States the way there is, the same way that, you know, there are, there are cross cross, you know, cross fertilization there, but we have to, we have to admit that we did not come as an independent uh, prodigy that self-create ourselves, and then everybody else was around and we, that's not, that's not the way it happened. So that's the systemic thing that I, I'm trying to, uh, been trying to, to deal with. And for a theologian, uh, clearly this is an, in, this is an immense and difficult word. Mm. This is usually the work of sociologists. This is usually, mm. the, usually the world of uh, political theories. I was trained in none of them. So I have to, I have to really uh, got acquainted with multiple disciplines mm. and, and even use 
uh, literature as a way to create metaphors. And you know, my, my English here is an English that kind of disrupts English, it creates an all of neologism. So in a way I'm creating a grammar and a syntax, as I said, mm-hmm. as a way to say, okay, we cannot think in the same way uh, if we want to move beyond what we have produced, kind of an Einsteinian, you know, lab. Mm-hmm. We, you want a different, a different physics, you're going to have to give me a different lab. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot continue with this mechanic, you know, yeah. Newtonian mechanic. So I, I need a different lab. So let me build it and let's talk about another theory. In a way, I'm, I'm not pretending to be anything close to um, Einstein, but I'm trained that uh, our you know, our mental models and our imagination has to have to be above the problems we have invented, created, and sustained willingly or unwillingly, conscious or unconscious, because ignorance is not, um, I would say, is not a justification for saying I have nothing to do with it. Well, um, Mm. we have to we have to get knowledgeable and begin by um, owning our own ignorance to say, okay, I own this ignorance and this is part of my learning. It's not bad um, to own my ignorance. It is bad to be ignorant and not know it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really important. Uh, thank you. Um, you write in the preface, and, and this is coming out already uh, in this interview, that you have two incurable passions, uh, the theology that does not yet exist and the tragic condition of humanity tortured by barbaric globalism. Uh, and as, as a way of bringing about the former, that theology that does not yet exist, in a way that attends to the latter, that bar- barbaric globalism, uh, you seek to do theology in the colonial difference which means, and I'm quoting here, centering Indigenous practices, values and ideas that were targeted for eradication by colonisers, exploring ways of writing, thinking, practising theology that would begin deconstructing embedded power imbalances and establishing decolonial methodologies. And now I think this is something that, that obviously if people who are reading the book or listening to this interview in Australia should, should hopefully be immediately drawn to. So I thought be good to ask a bit about, you know, how doing theology in the colonial difference, you know, shapes the approach to the work, uh, where the work led to. And I guess, you know, like I must be interesting, you know, you know, when you're working in, you know, as you say, you learnt to write, uh, you know, in the kind of in, in the US Academy kind of thing and, and you know, you, you, you teach in that, you know, and there's obviously always this pull probably back toward, um, you know, occidentalised theology and occidentalized modes of expression and 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 canonical sources and and epistemic norms and you know resisting that that pull where you know hey you know surely you know you'll be much quickly more accepted if you just you know do this this thing that we all is already well accepted and, and appreciated yeah sure um the first thing i had to go through when i was writing this book is a clear a clear sense of this is what God has called me to do. Mm-hmm. I, I, this, this book and my ideas have been conceived in deep prayer and deep sense of communication with God. And the spirit has been vividly part of this. I mean, um, it will, I mean, people who, who, who probably get in, 
in contact with my book will will rarely place me as an evangelical. But if you go deep, there is an evangelical. I'm, and I and I play with words, so you know. I am so evangelical and so evangel rooted and subtheological that I see God everywhere. Mm. And the work of the gospel everywhere. So why to limit the evangel to traditions of the West? <laughs> yeah. You know, why? I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm aiming here for a bigger God. I mean, the God that we said in the Middle Ages that is omnipresent. Mm. The God that we said in the Middle Ages and the classical way of theology that is um, in omnipresent. Uh, omnipotent mm. you know that kind of God is the God I I believe I believe those things so if God is omnipresent and we're going to take to you know the, we're going to really assume the consequences of that we cannot pretend that God is only acting in a little piece of Europe mm. <laughs> yeah is, God is acting everywhere and is acting and is operating and is uh, self-revealing everywhere else. So uh, this is this is this is part of what I what I put into play classical terms into 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 their own you know um, inconsistencies and saying um, trans by the way transoccidentality where we're going to get there at some point in a way says you know what there are there are very important elements in the Occident, in Western culture, mm. in Western spirituality, in Western theology, in Western people, which in a way Western is an essentialism, but let's continue that. That can, I mean, we should not uh, get rid of. I mean, that would be another form of epistemicide. I mean, killing the knowledge, you know, mm. it is undoing good things, but not everything was good. There are, there are things that were uh, completely wrong. For example, the 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 there were cartographic errors when when uh, when Europeans came to the Americas. They thought they were in in India and China and Japan. They began to to put names Indians, you know, to people that that had other names and Tawantinsuyo, Hajiti, and 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 Arawak. Okay, that's one one problem, the cartographic problem. But there were theological deficiencies, huge theological deficiencies. For example, the first thing was to, to make this population that had all the evidences of civilization, not a, Renaiss a Renaissance civilization, not an European civilization, but, but civilization nonetheless. If not, you just have to read the chronicles of Bernardo Castillo and uh, Sojagun and others and say, well, the, 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 you know, the, the stones, the buildings, the, the artifacts that had to be destroyed, that's the epistemicide, that had to be destroyed because they were so powerful that if we let these artifacts stay, that civilization will not convert into my civilization. So I had to, be, I had to destroy, exterminate that knowledge and whoever and whatever interferes with that. So that is a theological error of, uh, that, that goes against everything I said. You know, mm -hmm. God, omnis omniscient, God, all-powerful, God, you know, present everywhere, mm -hmm. as if God was not there. And indeed, the idea was that God was not there. It was the devil. So, you know, mi mission-driven uh, uh, initiatives, 
I, I, I'm calling this name, are, have been antibiotic. In the sense that whatever native, whatever non-Europea is a bacteria that needs to be exterminated. And the gospel is the medicine, is the drug, is the antibiotic that needs to exterminate whatever native other, you know, that there is there. And that is clearly um, a, def a, a, a theological defect that caused genocides, ethnocides, and a whole bunch of things. So in, in that sense, I think that, uh, that you know, it's, that's been part of the whole, of the whole issue. And um, I guess that that's part of what I'm trying to bring into question. What if God, I mean, I'm changing the question. The question okay. is not if God is there, mm. but where was God? Doing what? Can we look into whatever else, whatever we have in, in our power? Because a lot of things we exterminated <laughs> long ago. We, 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 but there are, trans, for example, there's translations from the Nahuatl into, into Spanish and, and other languages that we can see the translator, the local translator, putting their own um, you know, theology so we can rescue that. And that's what I'm trying to do in my work. So my work, I hope it's appreciated at some point after you can go up through the dense criticism that I that I put through because I, I am highly critical, but at the same time, I try to be highly construct, constructive in the sense that I'm trying to look for the intersection of the of westernized Christianity and indigenous self-creation. And at that very point that some people, um, I would argue wrongly is called uh, uh, syncretism, or they may, they may call it whatever. What problem I have is what they have in mind when they, when they say that. Or Christopaganism, I call it a synthesis. These places of border, of border uh, Christianity, original Christianities. And, and just to get to your question, that is a fertile, fertile place. A place that is able to fertilize our imagination. Uh, and the question should be, is not how different is these and in which way this reflects the work of the devil, because every time we ask that, we bring the devil into it, because the devil is always in our imaginary. And in the case of the Iberian, it was it was in the in the in the, in the Muslim community, it was in the Jews, it was in in in, in women. <laughs> you have the feminicides, you know, of uh, of women, uh, witches killed by thousands in Europe. Um, so. What if in theology and missions, instead of looking for the devil that is a Western fascination, we begin to look for God, really, everywhere? Mm. And I think it's it's a simple thing. Yeah. But it's a kind of even a Franciscan thing, Francis of Assisi. You'll find it. You'll find it in our own traditions in the West. It's just that they're not the powerful one. They're the marginal ones. But this is a simple uh, initiative. Uh, you know, that hopes to look for life and not for death. That's what I call probiotic, a probiotic, uh, <laughs> you know, mission instead of antibiotic mission. A probiotic also doesn't try to kill the bad cells. It tries to fortify the good cells, so to speak, and the good part of the body, so to speak, putting good bacteria into the body. So I think that's, that's a way that I, I try to approach, you know, theology. I don't deny uh, that there are evil 
But they're, as I said, they're evil in Pentecostal churches, they're evil in Anglican churches, they're evil in Baptist churches. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of evil in churches. Uh, so evil, you'll find it everywhere as well as God. Mm. Mm. Thank, thank you. That's, I want to give people a pause. You know, you can go on. Like, I think after that response, people are going to go, you know, buy the book, open another tab. Why? But you got your phone on your hand already. Let's do it. Let's get the book. That's incredible. Thank you. Well, we've touched a bit then on, on, on tr- the transoccidental approach uh, and how it repositions Christianity, Christian identity, sorry, toward a community in movement, which then directs a, quote, missional option for the immigrant of the American global south, where people in movement represent a space of revelation, reflection and political activity where the missio spiritus bestows meaning, dignity and hope to a typically displaced people in a journey where the spirit outside the gates travels as pilgrim. Uh, So borders, immigration, detention remain live and and often despairing fights in in both our contexts, uh, both here in Australia and in the US uh, and beyond. So I'd love to talk about this turn toward those in movement uh, and this shifting of of locus ecclesiasticus and theologicus um, and how it can reshape and spur Christian thought and action in this, you know, ongoing and very politicised issue. And I think even just in that response there, what do you go looking for? You know, because so much the, the 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 language around those in movement toward the border is the devils in there, right? The the the, the rapists, the thugs, the criminals, the 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 Q jumpers, they're in there, rather than thinking where 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 is you know God in there, as you say, where is that? And and you're saying and you're you know you're saying that's that place of revelation. So, yeah, just open that up for discussion. I guess I have two, when I wrote this, and I still have two uh, biblical paradigms in mind. One is the Torah of Babel, Genesis 11, that it's the idea that we need to cease moving, to stop movement, to look for stability, to build out of our creativity, God-given creativity, to create culture, to create science, to create technology, to build a language, a universal language. You know, this is pretty much the, you're sharing here the enlightenment, you know, the enlightenment, uh, you know, mm. season of the enlightenment here. So, um, um, and, and, and the Renaissance, you know, the enlightenment. Um, and so, and so, and, and once we've, we're building on that, we're creating a, a monocultural society, monolingual and monological and monopoly, monopolic, you know, <laughs> in that place, which is a monotopic, instead of a utopia, it's a monotopia. That is a one place that is like no other place. It's the super, is the, is the promised land that we have built is the one place, is the monotopia, the place on the map that we can say progress is there. And we are almost like God. That's, that is, you know, you can find that in imperial societies. And if you look very carefully, you'll find that in multiple uh, current superpowers right now. And I'll, unfortunately, I'm sitting in a lot of <laughs> and here in the United States. We've, like, like never before, we've had that type of appeal. Close the borders. Stop moving. Self-contain. Well, I don't have to speak. You guys know what I'm talking about. 
That's one of the biblical paradigms. The Babylonian logic, uh, some people call it, I call it too. There's another paradigm that to me, it's much more uh, appealing, which is the Pentecost, Acts chapter two, which in a way, what the first one does, because the first one is not bad entirely, God shows up in Genesis 11 and brings all these people and disperse them and send them. And in the way, they, be, they became missionaries, so to speak. They became builders, city builders. They built multiple societies mm. to the where we go to, uh, 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 you know, Acts chapter two. The resemblance is that you have a lot of those multiple language, multiple cultures, multiple societies. However, uh, you know, Jews they are. Judaized they are, proselytes or friends of Jews or Jews from all over the places. The metaphor there is that that the the the, the outspring of uh, Babel, it's in, in Acts chapter two, and now in chapter two God shows up again, but not to but not to this person the same way. It's out of the many create a pathway, not, not, to, not to assimilate them, but to create a pathway that has multiple ways. It's a way forward. It's not a pathway in the sense of going back to a restorationist idea. It is a, it's, it's a, it's a way forward based on the new creation, based on the idea that God is big, Big enough to carry the mission to the ends of the earth. That Jesus' resurrection means the diversification of humanity in multiple ways. So we can go and go and go and go and go in this. And that every culture is in a way dignified and affirmed because we all heard the, the wonders of God in our own language. So that is what's 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 in the mind here and then the people you know that in a way was 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 um um pretty much uh influenced there by this presence of the spirit so to speak was in a way be, be, continue their trouble and went back and you know what happened mm. through the book of acts and then through the three uh, four, uh, the four centuries of the church and then later on you know um I think what is happening in the book of Acts and Luke Acts uh, narrative and what we see in the in the in the in the Pauline literature is in a way an account and how the many are affirming God and out of the many we can be together. Mm. It is not homogenization, it is togetherness. Mm. It is the miracle of koinonia of being able to see each other because of Christ, in that sense I'm quoting Bonhoeffer, right? Because of Christ, be, through Christ, and in front of Christ. Mm. Because of him, in him and through him, is that the enemies become friends. You know, it's Bonhoeffer right here. And then the spirit is the spirit of communion. And that's Barth, that's Karl Barth. So I'm very occidental in many ways. <laughs> but that spirit is an eruption. 
That happens not just in my little experience of humanity. It happens in multiple ways in biodiversity, and that is Leonardo Boff mm. right there, you know? And it erupts, erupts, erupts in the cosmos, erupts in nature, erupts, erupts in places and in indigenous communities that God is present in ways that now we theologians are to create language mm. instead of dismissing that because we don't have a language, so we're going to dismiss that. So in that sense, trans-Occidentalism, uh, it's in a way trying to do what I think uh, Edward Said at some point said, that Orientalism is, is the, 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 the imagined other of the Orient used for, you know, subjugation and all that. And I'm, and I'm asking, what if the subaltern community sharing colonial um, uh, and modern subjugations were to say, I would like to ima imagine myself. I would, like to, I would like to imagine myself as if coloniality, modernity and occidentalism is not the ultimate power and the limit of my being, of my living, of my life and of my faith. So it is an exercise of self-imagination, hopefully in the spirit in my case, because I'm a Christian and I'm a theologian, uh, is not simply a utopian on the left or the right. It is a, 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 a utopian in Christ, so I call it theotopia, a theotopia in that sense. What if that is possible? I would argue that that, that imagination is the beginning of whatever experiment we want to do in the spirit and in Jesus Christ. The experiment that we don't have to simply kill everybody that is different because now let's suppose a new, a new race that is not white comes to power. Now we're gonna exterminate everybody else. We're gonna continue the same path. What are we gonna do? <laughs> what have we learned? So it is the ability to trans, in a way, cross the border of uh, inferiority, of neglect, of of demeaning, of dehumanizing, and say, how can I keep enough of myself as I am becoming somebody else and entertain the possibility of multiple identities? And mm -hmm. that is, in a way, diaspora, and that's what immigrants have to do. When immigrants have to travel, they have to learn multiple languages, they have to acquire multiple, you know, and it's a bit schizophrenic, but it's life nonetheless. That's what Paul had to do. That's what a lot of people had to do. So we're, the idea that we're, you know, that Babel logic, it's really the place we need to be, our nation state narrative versus the way, the traveling, and being citizens of multiple cities, multiple worlds, and contributed in all of them, that's your, that is your, you know, uh, the, your place of vocation. Use it, be the best person you can be, do the best you can do, learn a lot at the beginning instead of bringing your own um, ideas and culture as if those were the only ones. I mean, in a way, it's a very missionary way of living, mm. hopefully in the sense. Mm, yes, thank you for that. So let's get to the the, the spirit. Uh, you know, one of the questions on the back of the cover of the book is, uh, what are Christians to make of the Holy Spirit's occasional encounters with cultures and religions in the Americas before the European conquest? As you kind of talked about before, if we're taking omnipresence uh, and the 
biggerness of God uh, seriously. So, so I'm a, a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia, and in 2009, uh, the revised preamble to the Constitution that, that we agreed upon begins point three with the following confession. Uh, the first peoples has, had already encountered the creator God before the arrival of the colonizers. The spirit was already in the land, revealing God to the people through law, custom, and ceremony. Uh, now, I'm not so much bringing this up to, you know, ask your thoughts on, on this example of the church making something of the presence of the spirit, but more, I guess, leading us into a discussion of your rerouting of theology by keeping an eye to discerning pneumatological continuity between pre-Columbian and post-Columbian communities. Yeah, well, um, when I when I hear that statement, several things come to mind. Number one, and this is not a criticism or, 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 or praise, is I'm, I'm saying is uh, it's very pretty much in what I'm in the line of what I'm I mean, in a way, it's, it's an application of what I'm doing. So, number one, I would say, what a little, or that's good that it's happened there. It's a little late yeah. that it's happened there. But if you have any consolation, there are places that hasn't they, it hasn't happened yet. In places like like here in the United States or Latin America or or, or other places, there's no way that some um, communities will agree to something that 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 you read of it. There's no way you will you will be labeled as liberal or something else, you know, immediately. And that in a way tells me of the of the power of distortion and how we have caricatured God and ourselves through the uh, narratives of um, modern narratives, occidental narratives, and narratives of, of, of what I just talked about. I'm not going to repeat the whole thing. Bad theology, bad anthropology, a lot of egology. I mean, the, 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 and, and a great sense of the liberal principles of uh, individualism, humanism, um, and, um, you know, in a way, um, capitalism and economy, because in a way, every, the, the, the level of humanity will be graded, will be, will be um, um, rated by how productive is this person in this system we call uh, capitalism, how civilized is this person, and if we put it in our social norms, how valuable is that person? If he dies or doesn't die, how dispensable or not. So in that sense, the qualification of humanities, of individuals, you know. So thinking of the Imago Dei as some of the patristic and matristic, you know, um, um, uh, uh, thinkers um, um, thought that, that likeness of God and, you know, image of God, it's, it's difficult for, for some of us that have been um, you know, that have grown out of these traditions that neglect anything that is different. And therefore, I would, I would say that seeing the spirit of God, which in a way is the spirit that gives life to, um, to the earth, to the cosmos, is the spirit of life to cite Boltman here, uh, uh, Moltman. 
and is the wild child of the Trinity to to um, to cite here Saida uh, Maldonado Saida Maldonado um, um, and as I call it a, the decolonial spirit. I mean, it will be dif difficult for people to um, to to see that because it is not difficult to see the spirit in Plato or Aristotle because they are part of our traditions, although Aristotle was a pagan. And we don't have a problem admitting that God was working through Aristotle, through Aristotle's philosophy and categories. But we would have a, a, a problems thinking that the, the, the cosmos, we, we don't even call it, call it uh, theology, we call it cosmologies, the cosmologies of the native people, of the, of the first peoples, of the first nations, have anything of God. Mm. At the bottom of that is the fact that they're not fully human. So if they're not fully human, like me, see the positioning of myself here, then they cannot show me God. I have to show them God. They cannot carry the image of God. So there is this, I mean, and I, and I keep insisting in that because the humanitas and the societas was, was, they were, you know, land and people were the two things that were transformed. After that, anything else was easy. If you don't transform people into, uh, number one, religious-less, they don't have any religion. They only have pagan cultures, they don't have religions. Therefore, they cannot be considered humans. Jews had religion. They had the wrong religions. Muslim even, they had religions. They had the wrong religion. But Indians and Africans, they don't have religions. Therefore, they cannot be humans. So, the, 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 you know, the religion-less uh, you know, creatures of Africa and the Americas is the first thing. And then after that, they don't have soul. Let's, let's, let's move into that. And that was... And that was uh, the, the whole thing. And sure, we can say that the, pay, the Pope said in a, in a writing a piece of paper, okay, the, the Indians have soul, but they were treated as if they didn't have any soul. So at the end of the day, Guinness Sepulveda won the battle, uh, the, 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 you know, the battle of the, uh, against uh, uh, Bartolome de las Casas on the fact that the colonial economy and later on every, everybody else all the way to modern, to modern civilizing projects, in a way, saw these indigenous people. And now it's not just the indigenous people, it's anybody related to, to whoever is not me at the high class. So it's, it is a problem in, in our humanities. You know, I, I don't mean to create a, a conflict here, but um, there were some, some, some times in which Australians were not considered by British at the same level, uh, the same way the Irish. So it is a problem in our humanities. And when we are in front of something which is radically different, the similar ones will tend to unite, like in the United States, the so-called melting pot. <laughs> the melting pot is good for white mm -hmm. Europeans, nobody, for nobody else. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you go deep, 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 <laughs> somehow you're gonna find the root, we're not equal at the, at the very far. Because this is a problem in our humanities and we have not resolved it. We have translated and put it off into somebody else, and we still have to deal with that issue. So my argument here there is that um, 
that there needs to be two things uh, in everybody. It's, this is not against, I mean, white, whiteness, you know, race is, a, is a, in a way an invention. And we, we're part, it's an invention that is very real, by the way. It's real right now. We're racialized. Um, I think uh, um, it needs to be, I would, I would argue that in, um, in, the, in the white, Euro, you know, Euro-American community, the white Euro-American community, I would argue, need to go through two processes. We all need to do processes, okay? Because we have a lot of internal, but I'm, I'm talking about the, the white Euro-American tradition, which I feel a bit part of it. I'm not fully white in all the sense, 70% Europeans on my DNA and all that, but 19% uh, of, you know, uh, um, um, native, native, native uh, Indians, all that thing. Uh, so, but, um, I think the first thing is we need to deoccidentalize our ego. We need to really deoccidentalize our ego because we have deemed the occidental self as the as the exemplar and the most important aspect of our humanity. As long as we have our ego occidentalized, we will continue to have uh, white supremacy or occidental supremacy, whatever you want to call it. It's going to come in different forms. And the second thing, we need to diversify our occidentality. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying we need to give up who we are and where we were born and our traditions. As a matter of fact, we need to, we need to diversify our occidentality because I think we have, we have believed the myth of Hegel and others that think this thing called Europe and, and, and the West. I mean, at the end of the day, we're gonna have, we're gonna have to admit our clans, <laughs> our, our tribes. <laughs> we're gonna see this is part of who we've been. And that's happening right now. It's happening in Ireland, it's happening in Spain, it's happening in, in multiple places. It's happening. It's kind of reclaiming the roots, so to speak. And, and you know, that process needs to be oriented by good theology. Not by the theology of, of the enlightenment that has one thing. No, it's by the theology that is in a way comparative and a way that is post-colonial in a way that is in a way hopefully trans-occidental to say there is these things that you need to keep because it's, it's extremely important. It's who you are. And there's other things that you have to recognize you have or you can acquire in order to create a, a better world, another church, another, another culture. So I think those two processes need to go uh, through, through the um, self-conceived, uh, you know, um, white, I would say, Euro-American population. But those two and other two need, needs to go through the occidentalized, colonized persons that they want, like, like me, we want to become like the white Americans. That's, that's the perfect, in, in Latin America, that's the perfect human being. You want to be like that. That's, that's what it's... That's what uh, success success looks looks like, you know, the mystical north. So there is a lot of things that need to go through uh, through that process. So I'm going to stop because yeah, we are uh, yes, yeah, so we're coming to the end of our time. There's so much more that we could have discussed uh, with the book. So much more about the you know the spirit as decolonial healer. Uh, you know why why the term the pneumatology, but uh, which is very important the way you lay that out in the book. But that's the thing, you lay it out in the book. So folks, if you'd be like, I want this conversation to keep going, it goes to several hundred pages here. 
the book Spirit Outside the Gate, Decolonial Pneumatologies of the American Global South. Again, you can go and collect that now uh, or give it to someone for a Christmas gift if you're still looking for that, that kind of thing. Uh, Oscar Garcia-Johnson, thank you so much for joining uh, Love, Rinse, Repeat. Is there anything else you want to draw people's attention to or promote or ways people can connect with you and what you're doing? Well, I think um, um, what I've experienced, I've said this, but I've experienced people coming into my book. The book is, uh, I, I mean, without me necessarily wanting to, kind of technical and heavy in many ways, although I try to be pedagogical and put in even sidebars to explain terms and all that. But I am dealing with world systems here. So I thought that I needed to uh, clearly show how the making of the American continent is a global endeavor mm-hmm. that has multiple layers up to today. And if we can see that, we will see many things are interconnected. That's one thing. The second thing is, I saw that people doing missions and theology, particularly looking for answers, not the ones that know what to do, but particularly those who has this, who has who have discovered that we need help. That this can be a place, a reference to deal with uh, root problems and possible solutions. Uh, I've found that many are coming into this, uh, saying to me, "This I, I had the instinct. I, I had, and you're giving me a language. It's a difficult language you're giving, me, but you're giving me a language into how to name things that I know are there. And I think uh, that's part of what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to create an, uh, an uh, you know, a language that integrates and doesn't disintegrate, so to speak. Uh, integrate." not into one piece, but create the intersections. And I think that that's uh, something, and I'm applying this, working with denominations. For example, I just did a a workshop called The Landless Leader, Leading in Between. I apply a lot of this. Oh, great. Well, um, people should check that. And uh, yeah, as I say, the book, I I still think, you know, as you say, you do a lot of work with the sidebars uh, and the language, you know, in the, the writing is so has a great flow and passion and, and um, it, uh, creativity and inventiveness. And I think, you know, even if you haven't, you know, gone through, you know, theological training, there's something in this book. You know, I definitely think that. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much for, for joining us. And uh, hopefully we can chat again sometime soon. Thank you very much, Liam. And, and to, to everybody else listening, I hope you've uh, enjoyed this. I have. And we're always open to uh, conversations. Great.